0: If you're taking notes this morning, I've titled our time in God's Word together, Unquestioned Authority. Unquestioned Authority. Now, people do question authority a lot, don't they? A lot of people have a real problem with authority. God ordained authority, did He not? People have issues with authority, but other people really, when they see authority, they have great respect for it. And Jesus, wherever He went, whether you liked him or whether you didn't, whether you decided to believe in him or whether you didn't, there was no question that he spoke and walked with authority. His authority was unmistakable. He clearly was something different, differentiated him from any man that had ever walked planet Earth or ever will walk the Earth. Everyone noticed it. That doesn't mean that everyone responded the same way. The Bible is of great authority, isn't it? It hits everyone to a certain level and causes some sort of response. I remember when I was early saved, uh, I was listening to some pastor teach, and I remember uh, the analogy that Jesus is always the plumb line, always the plumb line that people have to adjust to one way or the other. They recognize that there's something significant, amazing but they don't necessarily receive it for what it is, the truth sent from God to them. We have here three unmistakable evidences as to who Jesus actually is. I'll say that again. We have three unmistakable evidences as to who Jesus actually is, but we also have, in what we just read, the desperate deficient and depraved condition of mankind that's a striking contrast isn't it of a man that looks like every other man you know Jesus walked on two legs he it looked like a common man the scriptures tell us walking among yet but yet walking among men but yet his wisdom his understanding and his authority was far above theirs Anyone else that met him. He had power over anything he encountered. Think about that. He had power over anything he encountered. Anything on planet Earth. Why? All things are subject to him. He created all things, didn't he? Everything was subject to him. We'll get to things, but later things like wind and waves will obey him. Fevers, rebuked. You ever try to rebuke a fever? It laughed at you, didn't it? No. You can rebuke it all you want. Put the thermometer back in, there it is. But Jesus, something different, unquestioned authority over everything, any situation, any circumstance. Any problem, any scenario, understood the scriptures in ways that no one ever has or ever will, because he is the Word. Hebrews chapter one verses one and two says, "God who in various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, but has in these last days spoken to us by his Son." Goes on to say in the second chapter verses three and four, "How shall we escape if we neglect so great." a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. God also bearing witness with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His Spirit. What the writer of Hebrews is saying, Jesus came and He spoke the Word, but He didn't only speak the Word, He did miraculous signs and mighty wonders that no man can do confirming what john wrote in john chapter 20 verse 31 but these things are written that you may believe that jesus is the christ the son of god and that believing in his name you might have life In luke 1 4 back when we looked at the beginning of this study back in the, the first chapter the fourth verse luke's reverie's writing Theophilus, said that you would know with certainty these things looks like this is an eyewitness account. You would know with certainty that these things took place just as much as Caesar Augustus took place. Just as much as the Roman Empire existed, the kingdom of God exists. Anything that you see historically that's factual, like George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or Napoleon, they were real, but they've died and never rose again. Jesus had an unquestioned authority Above every other man in his day and in all of eternity. Now, Luke, as we've discussed previously, he gives us a detailed account. You remember, Luke is a physician. He not only writes the book of Luke, he also writes the book of Acts, which uh, in many cases is a bit of a part two, if you will, of Luke's writings about what took place first in the ministry of Christ and then under the ministry of the church, which was ordained by Christ and the apostles and what they did. But Luke was a very uh, detailed man, being a physician, he was articulate, well-educated, he writes, but again he got all those eyewitness testimonies, and he covers many of the same things that Matthew and Mark and John cover, but he also has some areas, uh, or covers some things that they did not cover. But he gives a detailed record of things, and even in things you might kind of read over uh, in the scriptures, not just with Luke in this particular case, But the Scriptures in general will oftentimes have some good nuggets of detail that you might would overlook if you weren't uh, paying attention to them. But the Spirit uh, having Luke write these things, you'd even look in verse 31 it says, then he went down to Capernaum. We've covered this uh, previously. Uh, I grew up as a child loving geography as I told you You know, the first every time I would read this, this made no sense to me because oftentimes the Bible will say down. When you look at the map, it clearly would mean up because Nazareth is south of Capernaum. If you look at Sea of Galilee, uh, if if my hand is a clock, uh, Capernaum would sit at eleven o'clock. So on the northwest side of the Sea of Galilee is the city of Capernaum. Nazareth is over here to the southwest. So you would actually be traveling north to go from Nazareth to Capernaum. But that's not the way the Bible records these things. It always, it always in, the, in the Gospels, looks at elevation. Nazareth sits at 1,653 feet above sea level, but you go down from Nazareth. Remember they were going to throw Jesus off the brow of the cliff in Nazareth because it sits in a high place, not as high as Jerusalem, which is 2,500 feet, but it sits at a high hill, Nazareth, you go down in elevation to Capernaum, which is right on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is 686 feet below sea level. 680 feet below sea level. Now, the lowest point of the earth is the Dead Sea, but then the Sea of Galilee is still pretty low at 700 or 686 feet below sea level. So Luke is exactly right, isn't he? Jesus went down to Capernaum. He's at Nazareth. He goes down. Uh, I actually have some pictures, if we can pop those up, uh, from when we were in Capernaum a year ago. Myself and uh, uh, my wife was with us, and uh, uh, Russ and some other pastors. Now this might be a little bit washed out. uh, But that's actually, I'm actually standing in Capernaum here, looking at the Sea of Galilee. That's the Sea of Galilee right there. That's actually, um, over there is the east side, because we're up near the tip, if you will, of the Sea of Galilee. That's the east side across there of the Sea of Galilee, which would be modern-day Jordan over there. And uh, right here, you see the olive trees and palm trees that are right at the shoreline of the Sea of Galilee. So that's standing at Capernaum looking out at the Sea of Galilee. Take a look at the next one here. This, what Luke records here, Luke says that Jesus went into the synagogue of Capernaum. This is the synagogue that Jesus went into. It was there when Je- it predates Christ. It was there when Jesus went to Capernaum. It's still there today, but it's in ruins. That's the synagogue right there. Uh, that palm tree probably wasn't there. That grew up in the last two thousand years. But the synagogue was right there. Um, you don't have to go that far. Maybe maybe about couple of football fields length until you get to the shore from there. Uh, Right in the front here is the ruins of houses that were directly outside the synagogue. Now this is important because it says in verse 38 that Jesus arose from the synagogue and entered Simon's house. If you couldn't see, if, if the synagogue and the archaeological ruins weren't there, we wouldn't know that Luke was precisely right, that literally he didn't get it wrong at all. When you walk out of the synagogue, you would enter houses. Well, if you were allowed to enter that house. But literally the houses were right here, and there's only about 10 feet between the synagogue and the houses. Now, in the Jewish culture, everyone wanted to get close to the temple or the synagogue or back in the Old Testament uh, before there was, or back in the, uh, the, the desert there in Sinai before they had the tabernacle to be close to the, uh, before they had the temple, to be close to the tabernacle. Now the synagogues, of course, were not the temple, but they were used for the same observance of worship as those that lived in Jerusalem would go into the temple. So you had different synagogues in different cities. But that synagogue is the exact one that Jesus entered. It's still around. Just as factual, just like you can go visit Mount Vernon, and know for certain that George Washington used to live there, you can go to the synagogue in Capernaum and know that Jesus used to teach there. Actually, it said for Sabbath. He taught there for quite a bit, didn't he, during his ministry. Take a look at the next photo. I knew my wife would be glad that I put her in a photo here. Um, But uh, that's the inside of the synagogue today. Uh, It didn't have those lights up top back then. Those were added for nighttime viewing, but... The synagogue on the inside and jesus of course would be standing up in front of the congregation gathered there on the sabbath sharing with them from the law you can take those down but i just wanted to show you that that same synagogue that jesus entered exists even this day you can walk it i hope that in a uh, a year or two we can take uh, another trip to israel and bring some of you over there it'll bless you tremendously to see these things uh, and walk in the same place where Christ walked. But again, if you're taking notes, we'll look at three things from the text this morning of Jesus' unquestioned authority. The first is in removing, the second is in healing, and the third is in proclaiming. The first is in removing, uh, the second in healing, and the third in proclaiming. And I Uh, would say without question that all of us need all of these abilities that only God through His Son has in our lives, don't we? Jesus is the only one that can remove garbage, sin, and even demons from our life. Amen? He's the only one that can actually heal, both physically and spiritually. And He's the only one that is the way the truth, and the life. He's the only one that proclaims what we need. I was listening to a message this week from Alistair Begg. Any of you guys like to listen to him? It's a Scottish guy out there in Cleveland. He, he shares it. He's not a Calvary Chapel pastor, but he shares it at some of our Calvary Chapel Pastors conferences. And he was talking about that, you know, uh, he was teaching about Daniel and, and the fact that... Um, uh, the world doesn't really, they're not bothered the slightest bit with your Christianity until you claim it's exclusive. Then you got a problem on your hands. Until you claim that Jesus alone can do these things, that Jesus alone has power over death, that Jesus alone has power over sin, that Jesus alone sets the law and the rules that we must Yield to. That what he says is sin is actually sin. Not what man. And so he has an unquestioned authority, but people still question it, don't they? You and I were dumb enough at a time, if you're without Christ, back when you were unsaved, to think that we didn't have to respond to his authority. We would put ourselves in a position of authority. But Jesus came. As we saw last week when he first went to Nazareth, he read there from Isaiah 61, but he stopped short of the judgment, didn't he? He stopped just short of the judgment to say, I've come on terms of peace to proclaim liberty because all of you on planet Earth are in bondage unless I set you free. And, he pro- and then we see these three evidences, we'll see more as we go through the book of Luke, but these three evidences of his authority. Now, we'll look at um, verse 32, that they were astonished at his teaching with authority. We'll look at that when we get to verses 42 through 44. We'll kind of pull together his teaching and his preaching, and we'll save that for last. But let's take a look at what takes place in the synagogue. So as he's teaching... A man cries out with a loud voice. Um, When the presence of God is really in a place, Satan and his cohorts are very uncomfortable. The reason why some people that live for this world just get bothered when you come around is not about you, it's Christ in you. And it convicts them. And it makes them cry out with a loud voice. Get out of here. They don't always say that. They just, they scream it in other ways, don't they? It's evident to them that what is in you is in conflict conflict with what is in them. We have an adversary, the scriptures say, the devil. Now, the demon world, they're even more uncomfortable because they... Unlike some people who have been self-deceived into thinking, when I die, I'll go, have, I'll go party in hell with all my friends, or I'll go to heaven because I've been a good person anyway, or all roads lead to heaven. That They're more self-deceived into thinking that Jesus is just another good teacher. He's right up there with Muhammad and Confucius and Buddha and all the others. When the demons know otherwise... The demons know that those other guys work for them. But they know that Jesus will be casting them into everlasting darkness and torment. They know it. They know who Christ is. I've said many times uh, when I've taught over the years, too, that uh, even the animal world donkeys, whales, right? Quails they don't all rhyme, but anyway. All these different animals in Scripture, whenever God told the animal to do something, it would do exactly what God said. Tell a person, they fold their arms. I don't think I agree with that. Show me more evidence. What if I cast out a bunch of demons, heal some people? Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Still not sold. What if the demons themselves cry out and say, this is the Christ? We go on. Demons cries out, let us alone. What are we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? (laughs) They even knew where he was from, where he grew up as a child. Satan, of course, followed Jesus closely. We know that his ministry began with 40 days of Satan buffeting him in the wilderness, right? Satan knows who Jesus is. Satan believes in Jesus. Atheists don't, but Satan does. And the demons do. Did you come to destroy us? They know where their end is. They know their time is short. They know they don't have that much time before they will forever burn in torment because they've rejected the very God that created them, the Holy One of God. I just read a story, and you see that this man is completely controlled uh, it's not so much. they're using his voice box to cry out, but the demons are literally controlling his voice and speaking out. I read a story just a couple of weeks ago. Some of you may have saw it in the news, um, down in Florida, uh, where a man, uh, big guy, said he built like a football player, about six foot four, 255 pounds or so. Uh, but he was running through a neighbor, neighborhood completely naked. And they said he had superhuman strength. He was attacking people, biting people, tossing people. Police could not control him. Multiple police could have no power. Does that sound odd to you? The report said he seemed to suffer from psychosis. Yeah. And then some, right? Superhuman strength. Biting No control whatsoever. They ended up having to shoot him. I believe he was killed. Um, I know they shot him. I think he actually died, but uh, I know they had to shoot him. The police were terrified. Nothing they could do. Now imagine Jesus walks up on this scene. No gun, no taser, no pepper spray. By the way, they hit him with all of these things. Didn't flinch one bit. None of those things were of any use. Jesus can walk up on the same scene and say, come out of him. Isn't that amazing? You know, police cars, surrounded, SWAT team, everyone to do whatever they have been trained to do, big strong guys themselves, pepper spray, tear gas, everything. No, nothing they could do. But Jesus, carrying none of those things, just simply says, Get out of him. Isn't that awesome? You talk about authority. And not only do they come out of him, they proclaim Christ coming out of him. Which is not really whose witness Jesus is looking for. Be quiet, Jesus says. These people must believe based on what I say, not on what you say. That's true. Jesus wants you and I to believe his testimony first and foremost above everything else. You keep asking God for more evidence, he gives grace to the humble and he resists the proud. Say, Lord, I'll humble myself, then God will give you a lot more evidence. Look at Acts chapter 19. Turn over to Acts chapter 19 real briefly. Not everybody can cast out demons, folks. Some have tried... And it doesn't always go well. Look at Acts chapter 19, starting with verse 14. Well, starting with verse 13. Then there were some itinerant Jewish exorcists who took it upon themselves. <laughs> Be careful when you just take things upon yourself. "...to call on the name of the Lord Jesus, and over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exercise you by the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches." Also, there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish priest, who did so. And so the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus I know, and Paul I know, but who are you? And then the man of whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, so they fled out of that house naked and wounded." This became known to all the Jews and Greeks, dwelt in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, but the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Jesus alone has power over the demonic realm. Now that doesn't mean that God can't give pastors, evangelists, apostles, that we could be in the Holy Spirit and pray and God do a delivering work. But let no one misunderstand, any time a demon is cast out, it's only God who has done it. Any more than any time someone's physically healed, it's only God who's done it. Jesus alone, he did not call upon the elders of the church and say, let's all gather together and see if we can pray this demon out. Did he? He didn't call and say, does anyone have any holy water? Which, by the way, I also, separate teaching, but I do believe that demons sometimes will exit people under false teachers just to authenticate a false teacher. That make sense? That's like a double deception. Because the demon world is most concerned not so much with causing people to run around naked and bite people, but causing people to go to hell. And so there's false religious systems that will act as if they can perform exorcisms when they can't. And yet, demons will sometimes pretend to be listening to their authority simply to deceive people. Jesus doesn't do anything but simply, he doesn't call on anybody. He, there's no theatrics. There's no dressing up uh, like, so, like some sort of bishop at the Vatican. He simply speaks and it's done. Amen? He doesn't need any help from anybody. 1 John 5.19 says the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Ultimately, the demon world, although most people are not possessed by demons, would we all agree with that? The vast, vast majority of people on planet Earth are not possessed by demons. We shouldn't run around and think every time someone does something weird, they're possessed by a demon. People do a lot of weird things because people are weird, <laughs> right? We're all weird. We're saved. If, but we still, we still have a sin nature that can do some pretty hideous things. True? All of us do. So not everyone that does something is demonically possessed, although I do think there's more people demonically possessed than some people think. On the one hand, there's probably more people possessed than most people would care to believe. On the other hand, most people are not possessed. But most of the world is lost. Jesus said, broad is the road to destruction, narrow is the way to eternal life, and few there be that find it. So the vast majority of planet Earth is under some sort of demonic system, whether it be a religious system, about being wealthy, about pleasure, about power, about pride, some of the systems that Satan constantly fuels the fire of systems that grab people and put them in bondage, whether it's Las Vegas, the bar, their lifestyle, immorality, all of these things. Now people like those things by nature, but the demonic realm builds the house so big and makes the maze so complex that people enter and can't get out. And that's why Jesus said, I've come to set people free. Because once they got into all that stuff, they don't know how how many times you heard people say, I wish I could stop drinking, but I can't. I wish I could stop doing such and so, but I can't. And they really, at some level, can't. They need to be set free. The man in the synagogue couldn't cast the demon out of himself, could he? Only Christ could do that. He's the only one that could remove. Jesus alone can set men free from satanic influences, even the indwelling of satanic forces. Let's look at this unquestioned authority in healing. In healing, verse 38. And he arose from the synagogue, as we saw in the slides there, and entered. Comes right out of the synagogue and straight into a small little community of houses. And one of those houses right there in front of the synagogue. Um, how, many of you, how many of you would like to build your house like right out in front of the church here? Isn't that great? <laughs> you, you, if you think you're hungry when service lets out and you have a chili on the crock pot or something, straight in, boom, done. <laughs> Wonderful. That's the way... That, but that in, 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 in ancient communities they They liked to be close to things that really mattered close to the synagogue, and of course they were really close to the uh to the sea there because fishing was the prop peter himself his uh, this is his mother in law Peter was a fisherman he's got his job right there he's got his church right there he's got the house right there, but he walks out and into the synagogue uh, into uh simon Peter's Uh, mother-in-law's house and she was sick she wasn't in the synagogue that day we have people that are not with us today that are at home sick not just Paula but I know that some other people this week have been sick and uh, Hannah was in the hospital uh, yesterday and so we've got people that are not with us that are at home for whatever reason sick or infirmed and she was not there to hear Jesus's wonderful teaching that we'll look at just a minute but Jesus comes in and they make a request. This is a prayer that's not prayed like you and I, but it's a prayer directly to Jesus in His presence, physically. We get to pray in His presence spiritually. We go into the Holy of Holies when we pray. We make our requests and petitions. We intercede on behalf of others. But they ask Jesus, say, Jesus, you just cast out a demon. Can you do the same thing with a fever? I'm glad you asked. They didn't, well, we don't see that they asked that. But the, the thinking has to be: if he can cast out a demon, that easy, can he do the same with a fever? Uh, an intense fever. This was no minor fever. She's very sick. You ever had a really high, high fever? You know, certain fever, you can die. They were very concerned. And Jesus immediately answers their request. He stood over her and rebuked it. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I can do that. Be gone. Both things take place within a matter of yards from each other inside the synagogue. Demon gone, fever gone. These miraculous signs that make Jesus distinguished among any teacher prophet that has ever walked the earth no situation doesn't need any help doesn't need to call the doctor doesn't need to say "Well, let's get her to the emergency room i can take care of that right now immediately his compassion for peter's mother-in-law evident we know that he loves peter and the other disciples and Proverbs 31.13 we see with the virtuous woman said that she willingly works with her hands. Notice the response of Peter's mother-in-law. And immediately she arose and served them. It's a good reminder to us as believers. All the blessings that God has given us must be turned back to his service. Amen? If you're sitting here today reasonably healthy, I guarantee everyone here was, at, was sick at some point in their life. Some of you were sick last week. The fact that you were healed is something to be thankful for. The fact that I was healed, I've got a lot of things to be thankful for. I've had neck surgery, I've had knee surgery, you know, the different sicknesses, you've had them, I've had them, but All the things that we've received a measure of God's goodness and grace should always turn us back to immediately saying, thank you, Lord, what can I go do now to be your hands and feet? See, Jesus doesn't heal us of sin or sickness to go sit and entertain ourselves. Amen? He doesn't. Because the labor must be done in the vineyard. The time is short, he said. The fields are already white unto harvest, is what he told the disciples. They're already white. There's not, you can't say, well, I'll take off the next 15 years, and when I'm really finally done enjoying the health you gave me, then I'll pitch in. No, no, no. Jesus heals her. Her immediate response is gratitude, and let me serve. Let me serve you, Lord. Let me serve your your other followers? And that should be our response. Theodore Epp said, live as though Christ died yesterday, rose from the grave today, and is coming back tomorrow. I'll read that again. Live as though Christ died yesterday, rose from the grave today, and is coming back tomorrow. The problem with many believers is they won't serve like Peter's mother-in-law did because they can't sense the visible presence of Christ. And since they don't sense the visible presence of Christ, they assume that he's really not caring what they do so they can just kind of sleep on the job. But there's a real warning from Christ on that, isn't there? To make sure that we remember that he saved us for a reason, to be, have our lamps lit, to be serving, to be worshiping, Uh, And not to do this in legalism, to do it in love and joy. We want to have joy in our hearts. That people would see us and see a reason for the hope that lies within us. They would know that our service is not begrudging. She's not unhappy. If you were just laying in bed with a fever, you couldn't care less if you had to work all day. Right? How many of you have laid there sick and said, Lord, if you heal me, I'll go do anything you say. Two days later, you ain't saying that. (laughs) Me neither. Other things seem more enticing again than serving Christ. It's our nature. It's our flesh. It's the war of the old man and the new man always battling. But die to the old man and live to what you know is true, that Christ said, take up your cross and follow me. I've healed you I've given you the ability to speak. I've given you the ability to move. I've given you the ability to pray. I've given you the ability to read. Do these things in remembrance of me. Amen? Go forward in them. Start serving Christ. Now, one other thing that's important to note here, and and we're praying for situations. We've got our sister Paula who's stage 4 cancer. We've been praying for a long time now. The Lord's kept her alive, but at the same time, there hasn't been healing yet. Why does Jesus heal sometimes and not others? It's very apparent. It's very apparent that Peter's mother in law follows and serves Christ. But, But Jesus doesn't every single time. How many of you know someone that was saved that went home to be with the Lord, even though everybody prayed? We all do. Now, the simple answer is only God knows. And you can really leave it at that. You have to trust the will of the Lord. He doesn't heal every time. And that drives us crazy sometimes in our faith, doesn't it? I understand, we all do, that that Jesus doesn't heal every time, whether it be believers. And the real irony here is we actually see him heal a bunch of non-believers. Doesn't he? In just a couple of verses, he heals every single person that comes to him. Every single one of them. They come nonstop, healing, 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 healing them all. And not like the fake heal on TV, where they get home and the migraine hasn't left. This is the real deal. And yet Jesus doesn't heal every single time. The Apostle Paul was one of the most beloved of Christ's servants, and he prayed... Three times the Lord removed remove affliction and didn't get removed, did it? Sometimes the Lord doesn't heal. We still have to trust in His ways because ultimately He's doing a work that is greater than us individually. He's doing something that testifies of Himself. I've seen people that their death and their funeral has brought many to Christ, more than their life would have. I've seen people healed that brought many. So the Lord himself judges each situation based on what he ordains to do. And we have to accept that by faith. Now they asked Jesus, and Jesus said yes. What if Jesus would have said, I can, but she's going home to be with my father. Should they bail on him? Think about it. What if he said no? Should they bail on him and say, we're not following you anymore, you don't have any power. They just saw him cast out a demon, right? He has the same power, but he uses it according to his own authority. Just like you sometimes have granted your children's request, sometimes you haven't. True? True? You've been given a measure of authority. Jesus is the authority. He said in Matthew 28, All authority has been given to me. All authority has been given to me. I raise up or bring down. It's appointed unto man wants to die. I appoint the day for every single soul. Every healing belongs to him. See, we've all as believers, we've all been given a race to run, the distance of the race is determined by the Lord. Amen? Paul said, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. His race is not the same as your race. Your ra- we can't compare races. We can continue to believe in what the Lord does. Now what Jesus had read to them back in our previous study last week from Isaiah 61, from the book of Isaiah chapter 61 there, when he said, uh, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He has anointed me to heal. To heal. That's one of the... And Jesus would do these miraculous to show, just like just like he healed um, by saying, thy sins are forgiven, he also would heal uh, physically. And so Jesus' healing, part of this was to testify that in the same way, I can cast any disease out, just like he did with the demons, I can also heal of any need, including the spiritual needs, which is the greater need, isn't it? It doesn't really matter if you're ever healed physically. It matters if you're never healed spiritually. True? It doesn't matter if you live to be 110 and go to hell. Or you live to be 28 and go to heaven. That's the greater need. But he heals one to prove his power over both. I've come to heal the brokenhearted. But he not only heals that way, but he does heal physically as a testimony of his great power and authority. And we see here, as the sun was setting, all those that were sick. There's even a little bit, I see something there too. As the sun was setting, even when time is running short, right, Jesus is able To heal, isn't he? And every single one of the various diseases brought to him, he laid his hands on every one of them, the patience to one by one, I love you, I love you, I love you, healing them all, healing them all, every single one of them that came. Now understand that not everyone, not everyone healed of demons, where the demons were removed from them, not everyone healed of sickness, followed Jesus and put their faith and trust in Him. Do you know that? How do we know that? Well, we know even at times where Jesus said, where were the others? Why did they not come? Where have they all gone? They didn't all follow Him. They received the goodness of the Lord, but they did not receive His proclaiming, which we're going to look at last. They did not receive necessarily and believe on his words. They were very thankful for healing. How many ever have friends or family members or coworkers where God has healed them? Be it a doctor. The condition just kind of went away. They had cancer and they were healed. They had heart disease, triple bypass. They've lived a great life since then, and they still won't come to Christ. They weren't necessarily touched by Jesus by his hand at Capernaum, but most assuredly, anytime we're healed of anything, I don't care if it's the common cold, the flu, or anything else, you can be sure that that was the goodness of the Lord. Amen? And many people have received that goodness and instead say, thank you, God, I'll let you know when I have another big problem. Right? It doesn't mean that everyone follows Christ the Lord would have everyone to come to know him. Romans 2.4 says, knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. It should lead people to repentance. It does lead them there, but that doesn't mean that they are willing to follow and go to a place of repentance. Not everyone's willing to commit to Christ just because God has been good enough to grant them healing, to give them, uh, let's say, a great job, or some opportunity, or a spouse, or any of these other things that are the goodness of the Lord, the grace of the Lord, goes on the righteous and the unrighteous, the Scriptures tell us. But that doesn't mean everyone responds to it and says, thank you, I will serve you now like Peter's mother-in-law. Most of the folks are going to say, thank you very much, if we need you, we'll come find you. Are you feeding anyone soon? No, I'm going to be doing a little lot of preaching. All right, we're out of here. A lot of people feel that way. Let's take a look at the last section here. In proclaiming, his authority in proclaiming. Now, when it was today, uh, I didn't spend much time on verse 41. It's, it's very similar to what took place inside the, uh, inside the synagogue where he cast out demons a second time here. But let's look at verse 42. Now, when it was day, he departed and went into a deserted place. Jesus would withdraw sometimes and just spend time alone with the Father. But people would come find him. Because people have a lot of needs. Not you guys, of course, but other people have a lot of needs. And we all have a lot of needs, don't we? We come find him too. In the middle of the night, in the middle of the day when it's a bad day at work, we come find him when we're not having Things go the way we expected him to go. We come find him. But, you know, he makes himself available, doesn't he? Isn't that great? Even though he and the Father and the Spirit are never separated, they'll take time. They come on in. What is it you need? And they found him. They sought him. and They tried to keep him from leaving. We need a guy like you in our town. Because people get sick here not just this week. And those demons, they've been here for years. And you didn't hit everybody. A couple of them didn't come. And what if I get sick next week and you're not around? And Jesus said, I must preach. I must preach. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. It's like, I know you like and are blessed by healing and me making your community a safer place, casting out demons. But you know what you really need? You need my words. The word of life. You need to obey what I'm about to tell you. Because a greater thing might befall you if you don't follow my words. Healing is a blessed thing. But my salvation is an eternal thing. The difference... That's the greatest need. Jesus said, I must preach. He was teaching back there in verse 32, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he spoke the word with authority. He said, I must go and preach the kingdom of God to the other cities, because for this purpose I have been sent. This is the purpose I've been sent, Jesus said. I do these signs, I do the gifts of miracles, so you know that my word is authenticated from the Father but now you know the witness is true, you must listen to what I'm telling you. The kingdom of God is coming, and I want you to be in it. But here's what you need to know. See, the authority of demons and sickness, it's unmistakable that he had power over these things, but he also was the power of the word. They were astonished at his teaching in the synagogue, It wasn't the first time they were astonished at his teaching. Remember back in Luke 2.47, at the age of 12 they were astonished at his teaching. Well before he was called to be the public ministry that he was now performing. (coughs) They were astonished at the insights he had of the law and the Torah and the, uh, the Tanakh, the Old Testament scriptures. They were amazed at his understanding of the volume he could quote scripture as if he knew it all he did any verse any passage someone has to get this does the scroll say that hold on just a second it says that does anyone else know what that he's just quoting scripture because he is the word that awesome He taught with such great authority. It's as if he wrote it. You would think, people, it seems like he actually wrote this stuff. And he did. He's the author and finisher, isn't he? He's the author. All scripture is God breathed. In Jesus, he breathed upon them the Holy Spirit. He's the breath of life. It's as if he read it, wrote it, because he did write it. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He taught with such great authority, it was unmistakable that the Holy Spirit was upon him. He knew the Scriptures. He shed light that no one had ever shed light on. See, the rabbis and the priests in that day, they often quoted from other sources of previous rabbis and previous priests. Jesus needed, he didn't quote from them. He spoke as one who had his own authority. He didn't have to quote, you remember Rabbi so-and-so in the fourth generation? He would just say, thus saith the Lord. And it would fall in the ears like an anvil or a hammer hit an anvil. And they would know someone among us has great power. His name, Emmanuel, means God with us. The very presence of God was speaking the very words of God. But Jesus, he didn't come to astonish people with his teaching. He didn't come to amaze people with his teaching. He came to save people with his teaching. True? He didn't come to amaze them. He could have done that all day long. He came to save them and to save you and me. His teaching was so that we would prepare our hearts to turn and say, I believe and I receive. See, a lot, of every, a lot of people will hear these things and Jesus still to them, no matter how much you show them, say, Can, can't you see every prophecy he fulfilled? Okay, I'll take your word for it. Can't you see that he spoke with a... Can't you see He, he rose? He, he actually rose people from the dead? He did all these things he lived a perfect life he kept every single every single aspect of the law to perfection never sinned once and then willingly died on a cross can't you see that he is who he says he is and you and i are who he says we are sinners in need of a savior see his name yeshua in Matthew 121, it says, And you shall call his name Jesus or Yeshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. Not he shall astonish them with teaching. That's not his purpose. He says, For this purpose I have been sent. My purpose is to preach and teach the Word of God and to preach the kingdom of God, the coming of the kingdom of God. What does that mean? What does the kingdom of God mean? It goes back to what he said when he quoted from Isaiah. He said, this has been, back when we looked at last week, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus said he came to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. What did that mean? Today is the day of salvation. He came to proclaim now is the time to repent. Not tomorrow, not next week now is the time to receive what I have brought you, and that is truth, that is the kingdom of God is at hand. What does that mean? What is the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus explained it in John 3.3. 3. A great teacher of the law, a Pharisee by the name of Nicodemus. It's where we get John 3.16, for God so loved the world, sent His only begotten Son, right? In John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes in the night. I need to talk. You teach us, you you know all this stuff. I I know you're sent from God. What do I have to do to have eternal life? Here's a teacher of the law. Shouldn't he have known? Jesus said, unless, in John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said, And most surely I say, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. See, Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God is coming, and you're going to have to have new garments to get in. That's what he's saying. He's telling all of Israel, the kingdom of God is coming. And you're all going to need new garments to enter in. Where do we get the new garments? When I change your heart. That's when you get the new garments. We'll have robes of white The Scripture says, us. The kingdom of God, no sin is allowed in. No, any impurities are allowed in. But only those that are wearing the garments that I have given them. And their names written in the land's book of life are coming in. For this purpose, he says, this is the purpose. I would stay here in Capernaum with you. I love you all. But the other cities, I love them too. And that's why he would later say, go into all the world. Because he came not just for Capernaum, not just for Nazareth, not just for Jerusalem, but for New York City and Richmond and Tokyo and every other city of the world. Amen? This is the purpose that he came, to proclaim the truth this is the message that we also share with people, that the kingdom of God is coming. And you can tell people, what does that mean? It means we're all going to need new garments to get in. Where do we get them? Well, you can't buy them at Macy's. And you can't get them through Hinduism. And you can't get them through Islam. You can only get them through Jesus Christ. Amen?